1: Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild.
0: I knew the moment this album started, I was going to dig it. The song is Holotelani by said, Sedibi from the 1985 compilation record, The Indestructible Beat of Soweto. And it's also number 388 out of 500 on the 500 with the jam. The jam slam. What's up, Fleece Army? Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. I hope you're digging the record this week. I hope you're watching it on the YouTube. Because you're getting the YouTube on Thursday. But if you want to see the episode early, join our Patreon. Every Wednesday we publish the full episode of the 500. It's only $5 a month. I think we're going to develop some more platforms. Guys, If you can support this podcast If you listen to this podcast If you love this podcast We got a lot of great people working on it You know, we left Spotify back in July And we've been doing it solo deep Just giving you free content So join the Fleece Army support team Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast Get all that free shit And uh, help support We got Morty We got Emily We got Melissa We got Adam We got Peter. They're all dope. All making this show dope. All right. Speaking of dope, we have... Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Jesus, Josh. This is the one intro that, like, no bullshit. Like, it's going to take me forever to get through because when you hear this episode, you're going to know that... Listen, I am not trying to be funny when I say the names on this record. I am not. I am honest to God trying to read them Perfectly. Morty gave me the name, some of them spelled phonetically, and me and my guests butcher it. So it's all respect. Just know that everything I'm about to read, everything in this episode is all respect and love. There's not trying to be funny until there's until there's moments where we're just we can't stop laughing. Alright, so let's get to this week's record. Released in 1985 on Earthworks Records in the UK and on Shanachi Records in the US the following year, produced by various artists, this is the compilation album of South African artists recorded between 81 and 84 of the century 19. Soweto is a region of Johannesburg, South Africa, and stands for Southwestern Towns. Soweto has historically been associated with both the institutionalized racial segregation called apartheid and the uprising against it, as well as extreme poverty. Donald Jumbo Van Rennen, a white and well-off South African, grew up fiercely opposing the injustice of apartheid and its effects on containing so much great local live music. As a student at Cape Town University, he and his friend, fellow white South African Trevor Herman, would seek out records from the jive musicians of the local jazz scene as apartheid made attending shows illegal. In 71, sick of the race's policies, Jumbo went to London and started working at a Virgin record store where he was in charge of ordering import records that included his beloved Afropop and reggae. I'm a big fan of Afropop. Filakute, Kuti, Antibalas, Anybody? After a few years of enthusiastically turning on innumerable customers to his worldbeat music, he became a staff member at the Virgin Records label, where he worked with artists like Mike Oldfield, Robert Wyatt, and the Sex Pistols. But he wanted to share the music he was passionate about. He got that opportunity in 78 when Virgin launched the reggae imprint Frontline Records and made Jumbo the head of A&R. In just two years, he released more than 100 legendary Jamaican reggae albums and became a celebrated figure of world music culture. By the early 80s, he was spinning records at a popular World Beats night in London, presenting concerts by African musicians and organizing protests against apartheid and to free jailed revolutionary Nelson Mandela. Jesus, Jumbo, you've had a career. In 83, he left Virgin and started Earthworks Records to further showcase the artists he loved. That year, Jumbo released Zulu Jive, an album with songs from four South African artists compiled to his old Cape Town friend Trevor Herman. It was well-received, yet didn't completely deliver on the promise of a musical revelation. However, it set the stage for Trevor to follow up with another collection. This time, he put together a solid and exciting set of the best and most authentic songs by artists whose talents and influence were singular. As it's stated on the linear notes, the songs are mainly played in the guitar-based style of a music called Mbankenga, which was popular locally in the She-Beans, which were the illegal drinking halls in the impoverished Johannesburg and Durban townships. However, in addition to Mbankenga, there was also the swing jazz inspired repetitive keyboard style Marabi, gospel inspired female close harmonies of MK Shio, call and response <laughs> harmony singing called Mbube, traditional music played on Western instruments called Mascanda, and a capella close choral singing called Isi Kata Mia. The first four were non-traditional hybrid styles, while the last two incorporated more traditional rural and urban elements of the area. The whole record is filled with gospel influence, call call-and-response and harmonized choral singing, growling, groaning, and soaring solo vocals, intense guitar, reinterpretations of imported African-American jazz, blues, and R&B, and incessant rhythm sections with elastic and burbling bass and complex drum patterns. Don't mistake the vibrancy and joyous energy of these recordings as just entertaining dance music. These are intensely powerful direct protest songs about resilience and survival. They display pride amidst horrible oppression and deprivation of their cultural identity and hope despite terrible poverty and inhumane living conditions. The indestructible beat of Soweto along with Zulu Jive were two of the first albums of contemporary South African music to be widely available outside the country. They introduced... Many Europeans and North Americans to South African stars like Mahatanini, the Makanga Tsali band, and Lady Smith Black Mombazo. And you might know Ladysmith Black Mombazo from working with Paul Simon on Graceland because he got a bootleg cassette and was inspired, and next thing you know, album of the year, all that shit. Besides Paul Simon, other artists were influenced were Peter Gabriel, Sting, David Byrne, and most recently. Vampire Weekend, who we did on the podcast who referred to their sound as Upper West Side Soweto This album is a huge, critical and popular success, and it led to three more volumes, and some call it the most important record of the 80s, and it's still revered and respected, it still ranks on many best of lists now I was looking hard for a guest to do this record and our guest picked this record, and when I was like, who picked it, blew my mind. The one and only John Hader, aka Napoleon Dynamite. He's also been on School for Scoundrels, The Benchwarmers, Blades of Glory, which is hilarious. And also an honest to God, awesome dude. I I could not have had more fun with John You can just tell when somebody's character is sweet, and John has got that sweet, beautiful soul and could find the love and appreciation in this incredible record. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, leave us a five star rating and do me a favor and leave a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website com for links to the podcast and all my shows and videos that I put up. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan at The 500 Podcast with Jam and for all things 500, go to our website the 500 podcastcom Well, nothing left to say but here we go with number 388 Out of 500, with the indestructible beat of Soweto. All right, John, when we reached out and gave you the list of the 500 greatest albums, this is not the record I was expecting for you (laughs) to come back with. I'm, I'm extremely happy because we had no idea who the fuck was going to do this record and you are the man that came through. So why don't you tell me uh, about your experience
1: with this record, dude? All right. My experience slash um, confession, as I was saying before, exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about the list. Cause I've looked at this list before, obviously in the past um, I, I'm a huge, huge music fan. I love music. I fall into the category though. When it comes to true music loving, I, I, I fall into the category of sonic, more sonic than lyrical. Even though I love, but I love it for I love music in all its different forms. But at the end of the day, if it, if one beats out over the other, then it's more comes to the beat, the sound, yeah, uh, and the vibe, what, the vibe, and how it yeah. courses through my blood and veins. I mean, you know, be it dance music, obviously, but just. I mean, I've grown up listening to so much music where I never even got the meaning of the song until much later in life. Or, oh, that's what it's about. While at the same time, there were songs that have hit me from the beginning because of their lyrics and uh, this and that. So anyways, uh, looking through the list, when I was trying to, I was like, well, it's hard because it was, there's obviously there's 500 to choose from kind of. I was trying to find some that was coming up in your list. Thank you for uh, doing order.
0: that. Because That would have been weird if you were like, uh, yeah, I want to do Beatles, Abbey Road. And we're like, that's in seven and a half years, bro.
1: Well, that's, <laughs> that's what I meant. Like like Led Zeppelin like started me on this path of music in my life. And so I was like, oh, Led Zeppelin is going to be way high on the list. I probably can't do any one of those, even though i absolutely love. So I started looking in the next couple. And every single one was like, OK, I, I love this artist, but I don't know this album as much. Or I love this album. I don't know this album. And then I saw the indestructible beat of Sweeto. and and I felt you know what? Number one, I normally I always like to choose the path less taken. Yeah. Also, I have an album called Next Stop Suíto. It's basically all that music that was coming out of the townships there in uh, in Soweto in in uh, Africa, West Africa, South Africa, and so. You know, I've I've listened to a lot of that kind of music. The, you know, the Next Stop Sweeto, I have the volume. Uh, I have a couple of the volumes, but mostly from covering the music from 69 to about 85. And so when I saw, when I looked up Indestructible, when I looked it up on my iTunes music collection, um, I was like, oh, shoot, this is Next Stop Sweeto, not <laughs> Indestructible Beat. I looked up Indestructible Beat. I was like, oh, okay, I know a lot of this music already, which is good, but it's still like... <laughs> <laughs> but i i was also kind of like chosen because i was like i don't know it that well and i love the music and i love the sound sonically i don't most of what they're singing about i don't you know understand or can tell and and it's not it's a lot of it's just meant to groove to um so i was very excited to kind of get into it and learn a little bit more about it um but, uh, yeah, that was my, I mean, this is kind of a brand new thing to me in lo- in a lot of ways. I
0: do. I love that. I love that. Cause this is the same for me. It's like, I had, I had heard like moments of this music throughout my life. Uh, of course, like with Paul Simon, Graceland, you know, um, which, which, uh, truth be told, we have a, we have a very, uh, not, not a, a dislike of Paul Simon on this podcast, but we just keep finding all these facts about him that keeps turning the listeners off. What? Like he stole, a, he stole a song from Los Lobos to put on Graceland. Really? Yeah, dude. And we did the Los Lobos record and all the fans of the podcast were like, dude, I, dude Paul Simon's a dick. We're not calling him a dick right now. Probably a nice man. <laughs> the, fans, the fans. The, are the fans. Him. The fleece army. But this is much like you, John. I feel music differently than other people. There's some of us that have, like we said, we talked about vibrations. It's like sometimes a song can come out. It could be classical music. It could be jazz. And it just, it just hits a chord and you just start weeping because you feel it so genuinely. And much like you, I have no idea what they're singing about in these songs. We did find out and do the research, but but if these songs don't move you from the the vibrations, we're going to keep using that word that they're giving off, uh then you then you obviously are dead inside because there is an energy to this music and it transcends race, it transcends culture. It's just this beautiful beautiful 12 song journey into a world and and uh that a lot of us don't know so much like you i felt it completely like that so so but how did you get that that uh the the soweto record that you had before how did that end up into your repertoire i
1: think i remember exactly uh i was watching for the first time because i had never seen it uh that jeff daniels movie from the 80s with um something wild something wild so something wild uh I was watching and it had some incredible music on it. And I was like, what is this song? And uh I think it's Melanie Griffiths character is listening to it or uh, some some scene. But it that's kind of I think that's what started. I'd heard about it a little bit. Um I listened to a couple of music podcasts uh, that uh talk about stuff all over the you know the world. But um but I think that was the one that kind of turned me on to the song, I I, you know, I I pulled out the Shazam, a Shazam or I looked it up on the you know, soundtrack listing. And that's what started getting me into Soweto and that sound coming from Africa. Um and that's kind of what started me down that path. And I was and I saw like a lot of the, you know, the later stuff, obviously in the eighties, it picking up more steam, or not so much picking up steam existing for many years, but it wasn't all of a sudden it hit the American ears really hard in the eighties. And like you said, when you mentioned Paul Simon and uh, Graceland and, uh, you know, and you think about like, uh, I think in the eighties, a lot uh Peter Gabriel, you know, obviously Peter Gabriel, like in, yeah, going, dude. Doing that line, yeah.
0: Peter Gabriel, like uh sting, David Byrne. And then you have influences all the way up until now with like vampire weekend. And you can hear this record in every one of those artists I just mentioned, because it is, because like I said, it's this, because as I listened to this for the first time, I heard so many different genres of music. I heard reggae, I heard ska, I heard, you know, rock, I heard vocal harmonies. It's just, there's so many little pieces that that go together to make this special. And before we go any further, just so the, the listeners know, all of this is because of a dude named Donald Jumbo Van Rennen who was an all who was a white, well-off South African who grew up fiercely opposing the injustice of apartheid and its effect on containing uh, so much great local live music. And he started this record label uh, and in 1971 uh, went to London and started working at Virgin Records uh, because he wanted to start importing records because he loved this Afro pop and this reggae. Then uh, in '78, when Virgin launched the reggae imprint Frontline Records and made uh, Jumbo the head of A&R, in just two years he released more than a hundred legendary Jamaican reggae records and became this celebrated figure of world music culture. And then in the '80s, he just uh, you know was helping to uh, free Nelson Mandela, fighting against apartheid, and he started pushing this music out to the masses. And, and he was the guy that kind of assembled everybody, uh, for this. Cause they were all already doing it. It's kind of like Quentin Tarantino, like in, when he started blowing up with Pulp Fiction and he was like, there's all these great, uh, Japanese movies and directors. Like we need to get these people out because to show this side of cinema that nobody's seeing. And that's what this guy did. And then like, of course, Paul Simon just heard it, uh, and and kind of used Lady Smith Black Mombazo for for Graceland and now the rest is history and the craziest shit John about this is that not only is it on this list this this record is on so many people's like 100 greatest albums list because of the influence that this had on on music which it's like which is just so crazy because i remember seeing this shit on the list and being like you know i've never heard of this who's going to do this record like i'm excited to listen but I didn't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, and I think it also goes to show it was one of the few very few records on that list that were uh various artists. You know, you're you see all these and uh, all these bands and maybe that's one thing that drew me to. It. I love compilations. I've, I've always loved like these that were basically you know what you're going to get. You're going to get it's about a sound. It's about a culture that someone a producer, someone who had this ear as you talked about this David um, who hears, who's trying to share this a sound from a very specific time period or specific place or culture. And the best way to do it is just kind of gathering some of those artists from that time. And sometimes it's a very specific and small net that they're, you know, casting out and, and getting where, like, I think about, you know, uh, when you think of Tropicalia, you know, that um, Brazilian kind of musical movement, during the sixties and seventies, and how you know you grab some of those compilation uh, CDs and not just CDs, but you know albums. And it's the same idea. It's really you, you kind of look at the list and you see, oh, there's that artist that like, popping up three times on that album. You know, they, they have a certain and and for every artist that you see, there's probably fifth, you know, fifteen, anywhere from fifteen to a hundred artists that you've never heard and still have never made, you know seen the limelight. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's right. Why I kind of, you know, jumped in that because it is, it's a, it's a glorified playlist. You get to see and hear uh, any one of those artists, you know, with their own sound, but, you know, mixing it all together really makes it a much more um, enjoyable and diverse kind of listening experience while really hearing also a very specific sound.
0: For sure. Are you are you a big, like, uh, mixtape guy? Like, back in the day, did you used to, like, make mixtapes for girls that you liked or anything like
1: that? <laughs>
0: <Maybe> <laughs> so I was I, the king of that. I was I the should. king of it.
1: I, uh, I, uh, I, I did like making... It. it was mostly... Most of my mixtapes were just... I always had a tape in my, you know, I guess the boom box slash just radio that has the tape cassette recorder. And I just had it always ready to go the second I heard a song on the radio that I liked. Yeah. And then if you didn't, you know, you'd hit recording. If you didn't like it, you'd rewind it and keep it there for the next. So I had so many mixtapes that were all just recorded straight from the radio. Uh, they were mostly for me and my brother. But uh, my first girlfriend, she made me a mixtape. Ooh. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I was just like – it kind of blew my mind, the concept of the mixtape. Like, oh, there's a very – specific sound, but also coming from a girl that you like. It made you really like, I mean, completely hear indigo girls. I never would have been exposed to or cared about in a hundred years, but then, you know, you hear it in this context and then I loved them, you know, um, amongst, you know, other artists that you just don't like. Uh, this is back in the nineties, obviously. So uh, I started, yeah, I made her, I didn't make tons of other mixtapes, but I have made him before. And now, with my I'm very hardcore about my music collection. I'm one of I don't know, I always want to reach out and say, are there other people still like me? I don't join streaming services. I don't uh, nothing. I like if I like a music I hear on the radio or anything, I grab it, I research it and I put it and it has to go through very specific filters, which is a playlist that I listen to and I listen to it over and over and then I put it in my collection, it's my music collection. And so I always have like playlists that are ready to create a playlist, a mixtape for someone. If someone says, John, dude, what I have a good friend who's like, checks in every five years. Dude, what have you been listening to? And then I'll create him a little mixtape of like, here are all my favorites that I've listened to in the past or discovered. And it could be new music. It could be old. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend.
0: We used to have all of our guests makes mixtapes for the audience and you saying that makes me want to bring that back because I never knew if any of our, our listeners actually dug or listened to the, the mixtapes like, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson putting like 10 songs on a list and we would go out and like promote it and I was like. I was like, is anybody I feel like we're just wasting Neil deGrasse Tyson's time because because you always want to spend time like, well, I got to open with this and go from that. And then I got to bring it down and then I got to come back with the force and then rock it for the
1: last four songs. And but it's like creating it's I think creating a mixtape or a playlist is an art in and, of, in and of itself, like the person creating it. I know that I've done it before. I did it for uh I did it for Rolling Stone way back in the day when they were doing more of those. Yeah. And I created one. I think I did one for iTunes as well. When I was just like, I don't care who, I mean, you assume someone's going to look at it. For sure. And it's, it is giving such a huge part. Like I rarely share the music that I like because it's so personal to me. And yet yeah. at the same time, I want to share
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Oh, I completely agree with you. Well, this is like a very, Beautiful, you know, African mixtape of just some of the best artists that were doing this, and you honestly, uh, you could tell that there was thought in the order of the song and the sequencing. And so, let's just dive into the record, Um, John. So, do you know how to say a lot of these names? Because I feel like I am going to butcher a lot of this.
1: When you mentioned that before, I was like, oh crap! I was looking (laughs) looking at these. Like, I. I pride myself on pronunciation of different cultures and maybe like a lot of like Asian languages. I'm pretty good. But, uh, this I'm looking at, I'm like, Holy cow. (laughs) Like it just, it's almost like the beginning starts out bad and just gets progressively worse. And I'm
0: really bad at butchering names. I've been doing this in the two and a half years we've been doing this podcast. I can't tell you how many times I've fucked up people's names.
1: Track nine. Who wants to take a stab at that artist? <laughs> let's, let's save let's save
0: that one for track nine. Okay. Let's start okay, this is okay. going to one. All right. Okay. So the first song is
1: called A one
0: Yes, which means can you pay lobola for me? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So here, let's let's play a little taste of it. Peter, play some.
1: Yeah, I love oh, listening up, for the words.
0: Oh, it's incredible. What's so funny is that it's the same thing over and over, and yet it just keeps getting better as the song goes. Like, I love the guitar in the background. I love the call and response. And like you said, sonically, this immediately brought me in. Immediately, I'm like, okay, I want to listen to the rest of this record because this is so interesting. I'm vibing to it. It feels good. Tell me your thoughts
1: on this. Well, I think just... You know, when you hear about any any time you can listen to music that was recorded analog, it's just uh, you immediately brings a crispness to the um, to the instruments. And so you just love and, and you can almost just jump right in and just know that I start I hear this and I just picture like a studio in this time, you know, maybe in a country that they, especially a lot of these artists were probably recording in studios that weren't super fancy.
0: Oh yeah. Or,
1: or maybe, maybe it wasn't even studios or just homemade studios in their, uh, uh, in their, in their own uh, house. So, you know, you just think, I just like to picture the people doing the instruments and that, immediately when you can picture it and just sing hearing the fun that they're having oh for sure and and creating a different kind of you know we hear the, cons, uh, the that term wall of sound and while that brings used mostly for different kinds of chamber pop and uh chamber music uh i think of it in almost every single t- every single time i listen to music i think oh I like this wall of sound. I like how these layering instruments and, and it's the percussion, so much comes down to that fun percussion of creating the beat, the indestructible beat. Yeah,
0: nice tie-in. All right, so also known as Bride Price or Crawl, Labola refers to the money or property that a person who wants to marry hands over to the head of the family of his potential wife for him to be considered for a customary marriage. So that is basically what's going on. So the singer is asking his father to pay his bride price because he is a broke musician i mean how many times have we all experienced that it's like dad let me borrow 50 bucks i want to take this girl to go see home alone 3 um they're re-releasing it at the arc light it's
1: like the gregory is it gregory porter who does that song about like yeah good real real good hands real good hands by gregory i nailed it good job a uh, real good hands by Gregory Porter, and he's and it just reminded me that's that's what exactly what's going on. He's he's saying to the fathers like, "Your daughter's going to be in real good hands." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely. All right, let's talk about let's talk about
0: your family for a second. How supportive were your parents when you chose this career? They were uh,
1: they were great. They were super supportive. I like, you know, when you think of support supportive, it's like you know going down a direction that you would think is not okay or something but i think they're just like dude like he's doing something creative you know since i was a kid uh especially like in a middle school high school i always knew i wanted to do they always knew we were really into creative stuff my brother and i were big into art and drawing uh all throughout high school i would make videos i was into art in college i studied animation so when it kind of when acting kind of became more my thing no one was, it was it's not that they weren't surprised but they were completely like yeah you're making movies we always knew we said from the get-go we want to make get into making movies and they uh so they're very supportive especially coming right out of the gate with a movie like Napoleon they were like at first they were like well okay we don't get it it's weird <laughs> um but I think over the years they've come to understand the movie more so through the people around them telling them like Friends of my parents who are like, "Oh you uh oh he's in this, and they see the love that other people have for it, so it's almost kind of brought them more to understand in the film if that yeah. makes sense yeah did so uh, but,
0: so did you have any idea that what when you got that script and you get the part did you have any idea it was going to turn into this phenomenon? Cause that's the only way to explain it. It's like, no one sets out like, this is going to be a cult classic that people are going to love and, and know every word to and memorize dances. And right out of the gate, your first film is, is something that, that transcends cinema and became a part of our culture.
1: Like what were your first thoughts when you saw that? This was a, such a different uh, situation because I was I didn't have the perspective of a oh this is another project. Oh, I'm a, I'm a working actor. Here's another film. I, you know, you want to believe in every uh film that you're going to work on, but that's me speaking as an actor. Now, at the time, I didn't even consider myself an actor. I was just more a friend of the director, and we had made the short film, and I was still kind of going down the path of uh becoming an animator. Uh but I was studying uh acting, and so when we when we shot, when I read the script and when we were getting ready to make this movie, I was like, yeah, this is very independent. But if it can capture the spirit of the short film that we made, then I think we've got something. I think there's something that people uh, will like. But honestly, in all honesty, I, I thought, you know, the, our our kind of audience, like 20, 30 somethings, maybe 40-ish people might get it people who are into indie films and weird quirky comedies people like maybe the Wes Anderson or the or the uh um Cohen brother kind yeah. of audience yeah. um i never thought kids or like older older folk would really get it or care about it um but that so that that took me by surprise when it really started to become like a family family film and and people tell me oh yeah every generation and i'm talking like great grandparents, grandparents, parents, kids, you know, they all can sit around and watch and enjoy it. That really kind of started taking me by surprise, but in also a way that I was like, okay, yeah, I can see that. Sure. I can see that. When was the moment that you knew this
0: was bigger than just a film?
1: Um, I mean, it was such a slow build. Every single week instead of like, you know, when it came out theaters, it was only in a couple theaters in LA and New York. Kind of the t- traditional, like, let's just put it there, try it out. And every week they would expand to a few more theaters. So unlike most films that, like, get their one shot at the, you know, weekend box office and, th- and they fizzle out after the first week, we kept building because we were putting more and more screens. Uh, we opened in June and they started leaving theaters by, like, November, I, I swear. And and it came out on DVD just that, um, uh, December. But I, so it was hard to exact moment, but I think one of the defining moments was when I was asked to go on Letterman. And that was like the first talk show I'd ever done. And I was like, Letterman, Holy cow. And Letterman was sitting there laughing. Like he couldn't keep a straight face. Like he was just like, he was holding the DVD and he rarely promoted, you know, movies, but he was telling everybody, go see it twice. Go see it twice. You won't get it the first time. So go see it twice. You'll get it the second time. It's like you
0: made, you made my, you know, I guess the younger generation after me, like they're like, I mean, Peewee's big adventure. It was like a film that, like you said, it's like, you don't get it. The first time you see it, I remember my babysitter like came in because I was such a big Pee Wee fan, and she was like, "She was like, yeah, I didn't get that movie at all." And then me and my sister saw, it, and I'm like, this is the greatest movie ever made. Like, you did something that that is just it's it's so past just sitting in the theater and watching it. It's like it's, it's dude, you made Jamiroquai big again.
1: Do you know how dope that shit is? We brought back the, uh, the indestructible beat of, uh, JK (laughs) of JK. All
0: right. All right. Let's, let's dive into the second song. Uh, my, my, uh, my writer Morty started spelling these out phonetically for me. So I think I got it. Holo Telani. holo Telani. Boom. <laughs> holo Telani. Daughter-in-law. Uh, and it's Nelsie Sabib is the main No, Sadib.
1: sadib thank you. Jeez. Nelsie Sadib. That's an easy I'll take that one. Thank you. Nelsie Sadib. <laughs> okay. So this is the female perspective about the
0: bride price, uh, crawl or lobola. This style is, is an example of what's known as contemporary praise song. And on it she sings of the cattle given in the crawl, her bridegroom entering the compound, and how she must attend to her new in-laws. Uh Jeremiah, play a little bit. <laughs> Idea what, i have no idea what nelsie's saying but with that kind of scowl she's obviously upset at her in-law she's like you know why do we always have to watch your tv shows i mean i don't know if that's what she's saying but i feel something what i love about this is that this is like african reggae and it's spectacular and nelsie's voice is just phenomenal phenomenal in this
1: song what are your thoughts I don't know a lot about guitars and the different kinds of guitars but what is that I mean the second that guitar comes in and you hear it like this is the same guitar that obviously helps create that sound because you hear all throughout Graceland and a lot of those I don't know I mean it's has a almost a reggae sound but it's But it is is, it's an electric guitar, but I don't I don't know if you know this, but I I I don't.
0: But the second, John, I heard this, I was just like, oh, this is the same. This is like this could be Bob Marley singing over top of this. Like this has that that same kind of cadence of a reggae song. I, I just I loved her voice so much. And I think that's kind of what this is where where I really started, you know, listening to different things in the songs and just their use of their vocal cords where it's not just like a straight note where she's like, I mean, it's just like you said, the vibrations of this song are
1: just phenomenal, and it's and it's the you know the vocals they use so instrumentally. Um, having a lead sing and uh, like in this version, I mean in this song you definitely have a little bit more of a lead vocal of N- Nelsie uh, singing, but then in so much of that style of music you have those underlying kind of bassy so like yeah um, I nailed it right. um and uh and, and it's and it's again it's that call back and forth you know you it's like her talking to her family her new family and the family talking back and they're just constant unchanging like we're not changing we're not doing anything and she's just like come on and like <laughs> sometimes it sounds happy and sometimes it sounds like I got no choice. I'm going to do the tanani. All right, let's move on to the third track. Um, Umala Tini Nabo is probably the artist. That's the artist. And, oh. All right. Well, well, I can tell you this.
0: The translation means fair fight. That's what I got, and that's what I know. Maniki Niki. Maniki Niki. All right. Play the opening. Niki Oh, I'm going to start using that in my regular vocab. So this is one of the pseudonyms that hugely popular vocalist Simon Nunkan Bindi used after breaking from the supergroup he had with the uh, Mahotela Queens vocal group uh, and the Magana Sali band in the early 70s. Uh,
1: that's the best you can do. That's the best you <laughs> can do. Right. I don't think
0: anybody else is like, you know what I loved about this song is that this reminded me of like African ska. This has that like, no doubt. It almost feels like no doubt ripped off this, this album to make some of their music, uh, which is phenomenal. And I, and I love that, that you can hear something in Southern California, in like the late to mid nineties. And then you're something from 1985, you know, South Africa and how they, they sound so similar.
1: And um, it's so clearly like when the, that producer just got this music out and how it just immediately infected the veins of all these musicians, these music producers, these record label execs, you know, who are like, we need this sound or like how, did we not like, you hear it and it's immediately catchy. It's so catchy. And it's just like, this is dance music. This is just, I want to move music, but you can put like, it's not just like a repetitive dance music where it's the same thing. Like I love, and I'll bring them up. So another discovery I made recently is William Onyebar, Onyebar, Onyabor. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. Do you know who I'm talking about? No idea, but I'm with you on this ride. Okay, but he's he's an African artist who basically is part of this whole movement. Uh, undiscovered, I think he did his own thing, but it's a very, it's similar, but also still very unique sound. And this guy is just like gets funky with the guitars and the bass and look at, I'll, I'll send you a link, but look him up if you haven't seen it. But it's all a lot of the similar movement where he, his music is it's all total dance music, but it's very much just like you know, they'll go for eleven minutes long and it's the same beat the entire way. Really cool, great kind of background dance music. It's my Saturday morning chore list music. Nice. Um if I'm like, you know, sweeping or you know, <laughs> in the wrong. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um but um but like this, yeah, you hear it and you immediately think you can put, it can have some of that ongoing rhythms, but you can put lyrics to it and just make a cohesive pop song out of so many of these sounds. Um, What I do a lot when I hear this kind of music and I hear that, like I immediately thought, because again, the cinematic side of me is always thinking music videos or movie scenes that could use this music. And I, when I heard that and you talk, it's called fair fight. It's, that's what it translates to, yeah, and it's just picture you listen to that music and you just picture this little boy going out with all his friends in this small like African village, and him and his friends are helping him get all these awesome like a bat with nails in it, getting all these like cool little weapons that you're like, this kid's going in for a fight, he's gonna make it fair. So up up against some nasty bully or gang or something like for that. For sure, for sure. Um speaking of fights, uh and everybody
0: sees you like everything I've known about you is that you're this you just have such a good persona, like I, I couldn't imagine you breaking the law or even arguing with somebody. So what's the worst fight you've ever been in? Oh man.
1: I don't I've never been in a fight. Um argument? That- like, I mean, you know, with family and stuff like that, you know, but nothing like, I I, I think about that because I'm like, you know, in my older years, I've become more like I will speak my mind a little bit more so. Or if I feel like I've been treated unfairly by, uh, you know, someone, you know, behind a desk or something, but I don't think I've ever, there's this lady, I just, I just moved um, and I went to, I was at this target and uh, this was just like two months ago and it wasn't a fight, but it was like, I had to stand my ground. Cause this, I think this lady was on something. She came up to my, I was in the parking lot, kind of checking my list, grocery list, whatever I had to grab. And she comes up to the van and knocks on the window. And I'm like, uh, I roll it down and I'm like, yes. And I, uh, you know, trying to being friendly. And she starts kind of explaining her situation, which was very hard to understand. She was from another country, but she was also, so her English has a little broken, heavy accent. Um, but it was also very, uh, like she was tripping on something. Um, and kind of slurring and kind of made it sound like she needed like a ride to like Southern Oregon. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I was tried to, you know, the politest way possible saying, I'm so sorry. I tried to give her directions to like uh, like a bus depot that I knew was around or. Um, and but she just didn't seem like she was having any of that. Just like uh, and then I said goodbye and I had to leave. But then I, I went inside the store and they came back out. With my girl, and I saw her her like kind of going up to other vans and asking people. So I'm sitting there. I grabbed my stuff. This was like an hour later. I was coming out of Target and she comes up again and she knocks on the door again. I was like, oh shoot. And I roll down the window and she starts kind of saying the same thing, but like just even more like, I've got to get there. I've got to get there. But like she, I would, I almost would have caved in. Taking her to Oregon? You were going to take her to Oregon? Take her to somewhere because she kept changing where she wanted to go. I was like, well, I'm headed up north this way. and She's like, oh, well, she didn't. So I was like, something's going on because she doesn't know where she wants to go. I don't know what she wants until she tried to get into my car. Ah, she, she there's where the fight. I was like, where's this fight gonna start? And then- <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I say. It was the closest thing to me standing my ground. Not much of a fight. Maybe the other things happened, but she started pulling on the thing, and luckily it was locked. I was just like, okay, like what I kept thinking, of what is gonna happen when she gets in my car? And I don't like where am I taking you? You don't even know where to go or where to tell me. And I was like, I don't have to. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I was like, where to whoo. first uh, crazy, uh, ethnic tripping lady. Where do you want to go? Okay. We're going to Van Nuys. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she had bulging veins. She was a little scary, but it was more, I, I was like, what could have happened? I kept thinking, what is she had a person? What if she pulled something? out? Oh know.
0: my God. Yeah. In in this day and age, like uh, I, you did the right thing by, uh, you know, noticing the bulging veins and then driving off as fast as you can. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was, uh, I, I, that's a sad fight story. I mean, you know, I've gotten in plenty of fights with my friend, you know, like just fun <laughs> wrestling fights. I got head butted by my friend once who was trying to do a, a fake move. We were always doing fake fighting you know, like, you know, and this guy had no coordination and he just head butted me and I got a bloody nose and everything. I was like, what's wrong with you? Come on, we've taught you so well how to do these fake fights.
0: <laughs> what, I, what I'm hoping is like halfway into the podcast, you're going to go, oh, wait, I totally forgot. The, the, the worst fight, I, I stabbed this guy in Utah. Yeah. Like
1: oh, that's right guy. He's five still years there. Ago. Yeah. All right, yeah.
0: the next song in Doda, Yagazi Elimyama, which stands for The Man in the Black Coat by Amazwazi Mvelo. Yeah, dude Yeah, dude This was a male vocal trio that uh, Mahalatini sang after, With after a reunion with the Mahotella, uh Queens And the Magana Tsali band fell apart in the early 80s There's so much that I love about this song But this sticks out the most uh, Jeremiah, play it Dude, that's me. That guy sounds, that's how I would sound if I was in this band, just ah, golly, golly, bala. I love the robot voice, dude. Plus, there's this, too. Here, play that, Jeremiah.
1: Yeah. Dude, I-, I have a lot of, like, there's some disco influence in there, too, you know? Like, it's just, like, you could see, like, all kinds. It's such a weird mesh of, like, there's you know you hear the ska the reggae side but then it's got the kind of quicker beats um Throwing in there like some disco uh jives.
0: Very disco jivey. Uh dude, you, you said something earlier that that stuck with me is that this is do your chores music too. This is like I feel good, like I like, God, I don't want to do any of this crap. And the next thing you know, you're you've cleaned the whole apartment and you're just dancing the whole time. It
1: is like Saturday morning when you don't, and especially with the kids, I'll just blast it throughout the house. I was like, they have no choice but to feel that it's like it'll just make you happy. This is and, then, and if this would
0: be great music to have to play with children. No, this is like it's cause it and not and by saying that I'm not uh, you know lessening how How great this music is but This is so like yeah. You know it, it's just it's so Positive there's there's nothing you don't have to worry About the words what they're saying You know they could be saying and these are like You know fighting apartheid songs But yet you have no idea It's just so positive Um, So it's about a mysterious man That always harasses and takes The narrator's money after Payday uh, maybe it's like the tax man or, or maybe it's an actual thief. Uh, we all can, we all can, I, you know, can, uh, can feel that. So I wanted to ask you, what was the first big like thing or even most ridiculous thing you bought after your first real payday?
1: Um, probably a car.
0: Nice. What'd you
1: get? Uh, I don't Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it ridiculous. I never got to. I got a Nissan Sentra. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you're like, I got a, a reliable car. It's safety rated. Let me see. What's what was the most unnecessary? Yeah. What's, that, what's that,
0: that, that, that bull crap that you got that you're like, why the,
1: I bought a, a boat. No, no, I was, I did buy, although I wouldn't even say I was like, why did I? Because I bought a really expensive, like home theater system with like the fanciest projector and the fanciest screen. But I loved it and I used the crap out of it. So I don't, but you know, at the time it, it is kind of crazy to think. Cause it was like, I mean, you know, I'll be honest. I paid, it was probably over 20 grand for that. Ooh, I'm coming to your house for movie night, bro. I don't, I don't have it anymore. I mean, this was years, years ago, but it's like, I mean, you can get awesome. You can get awesome projectors for like, not even half the, like way less. I mean, it's just the, you know, the, the, the margin for the, the different, uh, the, for the quality, uh, the amount of quality that you can get out of things now, like back then it was like, well, it's either all really nice or kind of this crappy like install.
0: Yeah, dude, because, because 20 grand, like, you know, 15 years ago, or however long, like the technology now is like, a quarter of that. You know what I mean? It's like what you paid 20 grand for back then now is like 1500 bucks all in. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and, I, and that's why I was like something like, Oh my gosh, it's just, and, and I had this like receiver that came with, it, it was just giant box. It's like, who needs receivers now? I mean, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. What was the first movie uh that you, you put on it to show off to people? You were like, all right guys, we're going to watch Willow. It wasn't, <laughs> Hey, First of all, Willow's Sweet. Great movie. Uh, Secondly, it was not a movie. It was a video game, Gears of War. I like put on. (laughs) I think I was in Hardcore Gears at the time. Yeah. So I was like, dude, check it out because I could control the sound. I was like, I'm going to shoot that. Locust head off, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> like, you just hear all around you. I was like, oh, like that.
0: dude, uh, totally.
1: Um, all right, so this next
0: song, we've been doing this podcast for two years. Um, this next song might be one of my favorite songs I have heard from since I started doing this podcast. Um, the English translation is The Stream of Music. It, the song title is Ethan Jenny Wamkulo, it's by the Maltini. Nezin I want to give this so much respect But, but I, it's so hard I apologize dude, if there's a listener that I'm upsetting right now Seriously, this is breaking my heart All I know is this is one of my favorite songs we've done from doing this podcast Peter, uh, play it Uh, I mean this, uh, not lying and not saying this because this is the record that we're doing this week. Uh, listeners like a hundred percent, that might be one of my favorite moments from any record that we have done on this podcast. I don't know why I love it so much, but it is just perfect. I, I just, it puts me in such a good mood. It's raining here in Maryland right now. I listened to the record before I was getting started. I'm setting all this up and that song comes on and every time I've listened to it, it's just like, oh, it's just such a great energy clearing. Uh, this is beautiful. The translation for this on the back cover says we are at the source of music. We are calling the young and the old not to forget that music never ends. And that is beautiful. The Makanga sali band were five musicians who invented babanganga. That's not right. In the mid-60s. Oh, no,
1: I've heard that.
0: Really? You're being yeah, sweet. Yeah. In the mid-60s and then basically became the house band of the Soweto Sound, successful South African producer, talent scout Rupert Popapi, uh, put a girl group together called the Hotella Queens in, to front the band and added one male singer, Simon Nkambindi, was a South African Mabankwa singer who sang in a deep growl, which became known as groaning. And that is the robot voice sound that we hear throughout all of this. And- uh, Oh, cool.
1: And so that was a style of singing, groaning, kind of like, well, that, like getting a little bit of that guttural. It. Like, this is how
0: I talk naturally. I should be one of the South African groan singers. I would I would go to South Africa and they would hear me and they'd be like, you are going to be- our nation's top grown singer. Uh, who knew I was already doing it throughout my whole life? Does that include the Br? Gosh, I don't know about the, the brrr, Um, but I love the brrr. Uh So this South African supergroup was hugely popular for years, but broke up by the end of the 70s, only to have a short-lived reunion in the early 80s. But after Graceland introduced South African music to the world, they reunited to international success. Uh, I love this song. What are your thoughts? I thought it was great. I mean, it was
1: like... I love the I I feel terrible not being able to copy the words exactly I think that we're just (laughs) painting ourselves into this terrible corner like uh but again (laughs) it's it's the love of the music like you said you can just hear it like they are so uh, it's called stream of music is that what it's called or, or that's what it's. We are st- the source uh, of
0: music. We are calling the, source, the yes. young and the old. Not to forget that music never ends, which is a hundred percent true. That. Yeah,
1: and and you can just hear the love of. I mean, all musicians you would assume love music. I mean, I guess some musicians might be doing it just as a paycheck, and they know how to strum a guitar. But you could say that about every musician. But I don't know. Like sometimes you hear stuff like this and you just like, they love it. They love it so much. They're singing about it. They're singing about their love of music instead of bogging it down with, I mean, some of them have messages, but even when they're like talking about dealing with new in-laws or trying to enter a fair fight, it's still like the subtext for almost every single one of these songs is music is the best Yeah, and it's our lives and we have to have it constantly. And I think that was a thing with them. Like they always had music playing. They all are, you know, like in the background, whether they're playing it somewhere, someone at some place, you know, it's just, it's, they're filling their lives with it. And it's like a message to us. Like sometimes I feel guilty if, like, I always got to have music playing. Like if I'm doing the dishes, if I'm doing chores, I got to have music. If I'm doing any kind of work, got to have music. If I'm in the car, got to have music. Yeah. I'm the same way.
0: I, so I, I think it was like beginning of 2019 or 2018, I went out and I spent like a couple thousand dollars on speakers all around my apartment. That's all like voice activated through Alexa. And, and I just was like, I'm going to have music playing in my apartment in every room, all synchronized from this point on. And immediately my life got better. I don't know how to explain it. Whatever it is, the vibration, uh, it just has made me a happier person. So I wanted to ask you being the way that you grew up, um and I know you dig all different types of music now but was there any music that that you were kept away from or discouraged to listen to uh
1: when you were growing up? Um not I mean growing up you know I grew up in, it's still very like kind of in a religious uh household and um but rarely were they ever saying it was just kind of like inferred you know you shouldn't um you know, watch the media that you take in the books, the music, the movies that you watch, if it's detracts from, or if it, you know, if it entices you to do bad or I don't know, D- to me it was weird because it's like, I, like, I just love, I didn't really get into music until I was in like middle school or high school. And I mean, maybe that's how it is for most people. Basically my music experience growing up was up until that moment, like middle school, it was just whatever my parents listened to and they listened to basically three bands john denver mamas and the papas peter paul and dude peter paul and mary was my first concert ever i've seen peter paul and mary like 7 times live at wolf trap and they will all and they and because of that they actually hold a very dear place in my heart i love them and uh but that's like all they listened to, if they listened to music, if they put on anything, that's just what they owned. They were not big music curators. They didn't own a lot of music. So come you know, middle school, and my brother gives me these Led Zeppelin tapes, suddenly my eyes, my ears, my whole world to music was just open and I just started listening to classic rock, Basic, basically anything and everything from that time period. Yeah. I mean um, to go from so was- to go from Peter, Paul, and Mary to suddenly,
0: hey hey mom, is it the way you move?
1: I mean, were you, were you just like, oh my God, what is going on? It was just beautiful. It was beautiful. I don't know. It was it was like I maybe I feel like it was always there with me. And here it was because in Unlike, you know, other things that you grow up on that you kind of fade away through time, Led Zeppelin has always kind of remained my favorite. And I'm like, is it because they introduced me to music? No, I don't think so because they are – I mean, we all know it's Led Zeppelin. They're solid. They're like if I had been introduced through Hanson or (laughs) – <laughs> A voice, to, or kids, on, new kids on the block, new kids on the block. Like I've been listening. All of them. Sure, they could have opened my world to music, but then I've probably been like, eh, you know, like whatever. I Are you know. introducing your kids to all different types of music now? I, I do. I've always, I mean, whether it's you know on purpose or just because I always have music playing in the car or when we go on road trips or anything. I always had played music. So they were always exposed to different and it's always different. And sometimes I'm sad. Like I'm like, maybe they should have, because I, because as a kid, I only heard Peter, Paul, and Mary and John Denver and those three. And here they've never really been able to latch onto dad's music because it's always changing. It's always changes. But that said, it's giving them exposure to all different kinds. And now You know, they will, they'll pick up things that like, oh, I want to hear this. And I love it when I can find something because there's a lot of stuff they'll, there's just anything they just don't like of mine. They call country. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not country, not country at all. But then every now and then you'll have a nice little overlap and it'll be like, dude, we really like this and you like that we'll dig that together dope that's dope alright hey this is Chris Swinney formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road the highs can be euphoric but the lows can be crushing join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases their worst nightmare past guests of the show include members of no effects Pennywise bad religion and more listen and
0: uh the English translation is we will get them. It's by Udo Udokutella, Udokutella Shanj Namjaha. Uh and this is just uh, a fiddle led instrumental with a little Cajun feel. Um, play a little taste, JT. <laughs> All right, so this may be an instrumental, but this dude is shredding on the fiddle, and that little place, that little part that we just played, I think he holds that one for like thirty minutes. It just keeps going,
1: just keeps going. All right, your thoughts on the fiddle? I love, I loved it. I was just like, wait, what is that for a second? And I was like, oh, that's yeah, straight up. Like that's a l- brings a little of that Cajun feel. Um, uh, I loved it. I, I think it's great. Again, it's just that kind of like that those uh underlying beats that are just kind of rhythmic and you get again you can hear all those having kind of heard a lot of these for the first time today even though hearing you like oh yeah this is the music that they were using grace like, used in the 80s like that african music explosion in the 80s with all that kind of stuff um yeah, you could take
0: it. this song, though, that you could take this song, which is from South Africa, and you could put this in an Alabama like hootenanny and just them playing that. And the people in the hootenanny would be rocking just yeah. as hard. And if, you know, until they saw what color they were and they'd be like, I'll get these guys out of here. And you'd be like, all right, <laughs> dude, just chill out. Music, music transcends everything. All right. Speaking of uh, of of transcending. So Napoleon Dynamite blows up and then you are starring in these roles with like Will Ferrell and Reese Witherspoon and Billy Bob Thornton and Diane Keaton. How prepared were you for that?
1: Uh, I wasn't prepared at all. How did you get prepared to to work with Mark Ruffalo. I mean, that is yeah. insane. I mean, but I think. I I tell people I I, I really lucked out um, in many ways, lucked out in that, you know, I had this golden ticket of a movie on Napoleon to kind of open up all these doors, but also lucky that in the beginning, all those, all those films that you just kind of mentioned and those, those people, they were all really cool. And I think it would have been, it would have been different and harder if I got someone big who's, you know, who does their job, but at the same time, they're like difficult to work with or if they're a bit of a diva or, uh, you know, throwing it, it would have disillusioned me a little bit more. It would have kind of thrown me off the uh, the feel of like, you know, I don't think this is I, I, I grew up not in Hollywood and I always wanted to hope for the best. But it, I, I mean, Will Ferrell was so nice. And just so he laid back and easy and, uh, and uh, um, Mark Ruffalo was just like that. Like this guy, you, you wouldn't think this one of the most un-Hollywood type feeling of people is just like a cool guy, just hanging out with, oh yeah, let's talk. And and then they're getting on screen and then they're doing the thing and they're like, awesome. But then, you know, cameras stopped rolling and everybody was just so easy to work with that. It didn't really feel like, did I need to be prepared for this? This is like. Easy
0: yeah who um, who is Give us all the inset scoop who is The like I can't believe this Part this is the nicest human being I have ever met and I'm such a Huge fan who is was there anybody that just Completely you're like you've Exceeded the expectations Of how awesome you are going to be On such a level that it's blowing my Mind
1: I think uh well I mean Will Ferrell obviously like When I first when I First found out he was going to be in Blades of Corey I was really like, I mean, cause the way it went is it was originally going to be me and Ben Stiller and Ben Stiller's company produced it. And, uh, and Ben was going to do it, but then, and so I was really excited from the get-go just thinking like, Oh, me and Ben, this is going to be great. And then he couldn't do it due to a a scheduling conflict as, Although to this day, I still think is because he was like, this is going to be really hard to do on the ice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ice <laughs> but no, I think it was just some like conflict or something. And he was like, I mean, it's still his movie. He's like, we're making it. Uh, but don't worry, John, we're going to get some. I was super bummed because I was really looking forward to it. Of course. Then they brought up Will Ferrell. I was like, oh, okay. That's a pretty ben good Hill? <laughs> uh, one. Ben <laughs> One of the <laughs> funniest people in the world. That is... So great, man. I you know, So he was, yeah, he was, he was really just, he was just awesome to work with and he was nice and he wasn't at all crazy or anything like that, but he could bring the funny immediately. Cause it was just, that's who he was. You know, he wasn't, he would kind of play, he's just doing his thing and, but really easy to work with and really funny and, um, uh, I loved it. Yeah.
0: Do you ever have a moment where like you guys were in the middle of a scene and he's just going off book and just riffing and, and you're just like, oh, shit, I have to act. And then you have to like you forget you're just in awe of how
1: great he is. Yeah. I mean, I mean most of the scenes, it's kind of like, you know, it's set up and you know, I'm a little bit more of the straight man uh, to, you know, kind of the setup of the joke. Which is weird to say in our position because we both look like ridiculous, <laughs> just craziest outfits, yeah. which was really what was so fun about the project. But yes, there was many moments where we just... And you'd be like, Oh wait here. No, no, I can get involved and I can be physical. A lot of times there's just physical things that we were, when we're kicking or punching each other and just doing stuff like that. And it was was so much fun,
0: dude. I forgot how great that movie. I'm going to watch that later tonight, man. That's such a great film, dude.
1: All right. Uh, track seven,
0: uh, Kwai Lale, uh, which stands for Leave Me Alone, and it's by Moses Machunu. This fiddle-driven Muscanda song is about being a young single man whose married friends are all jealous about the ladies he dates. Uh, this feels almost like a continuation of the last song. Uh, but the opening I think is the star of this. Uh JT play
1: it. <laughs> Yeah. I
0: love that opening. And then the song kicks in. You, you feel the fiddle. It's a fantastic song. Um, being that this is about jealousy, I wanted to ask you, did you notice or did you have to like deal with any jealousy from hometown friends
1: when your career took off? Or was it all love? I think it was all mostly love. I mean, if I did, I didn't have to deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was behind your back, aware yeah. of it. Yeah, it, it could have been. I, you know, I, you do hear about some of those people and there like, either hometown people or like, like Christina Aguilera. You hear all that about her hometown just kind of going against her and like, uh, Christina. I think so. Wasn't that the story? I mean, I'm not saying whether or not she deserved, but like you know, just like, Oh, her small town, like where she came up, they were all, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Um, But as far as I knew, my, my hometown was very supportive and very cool. Like when we first opened the movie or when the, right when the movie was coming out in theater, a very, uh, this local little uh, indie, like a, um, a small, like art house theater, uh, that had, was pretty new in our, my hometown yeah. of Salem, Oregon. They had, they were, they were pretty new. And so she contacted my mom cause they like knew each other and says, Hey, can we open up the film here? And so we did this little thing. We like Fox search. was really cool where they gave him a print and they like screened it like for, you know, however long and they screened screened for a long time, but for like two days in a row, I came and I did a little Q and a and little, you know, meet and greet afterward. Uh, And that was really cool because I saw people in line that like my sixth grade teacher, she showed up and she, I was just like, oh my gosh, I never would have seen you at any other kind of reunion. So I got to see some people from my past um, show up and I don't, yeah, I don't think I had to deal with any, again, if there was any jealousy, I don't think they ever expressed it. I think everybody was really cool.
0: Yeah, they said they were nice to your face, mean behind your back. There's always somebody, <laughs> there's some guy in your
1: neighborhood that's like, John, that was supposed to be me. Well, he sure didn't show it very well. He was <laughs> trying to be me. All right. Track eight, Tool Lele."
0: Just Stop and Listen by Amaswazi Mvelo. Here's... Mahaltini And the vocal trio again JT play
1: it
0: Oh I love it This is about people gossiping And talking
1: a lot of smack Um, Your thoughts on this? Oh, talking smack is. I love, again, in sing song form, it's like, oh, they're best friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they sound like so happy in there. It's just like, dude, I hate I you. Wish so I, knew much. I wish I knew exactly what it was. Like, oh, how do you talk smack? And. In this language. Um, <laughs> All right. Cine Lindyle, uh,
0: we are waiting for you. Um, this was one of the most popular Zulu traditional Masconda groups of the 80s. And that group is, I'm going to mess this up. Oh, my gosh. I this can't This is the wait. one we were talking hey. about, right? This is the one yes. that you.
1: I, I want to hear, hear you take a stab at this one. umfisa
0: Amfisa no Kamba.
1: Lamvaliso. How did I do <laughs> Well, up? yeah, when you go that slow, you can do anything. <laughs> All right,
0: let me, do, let me do it fast, dude. Oh my gosh. All right, here we go. Nungang La Fisa, no Kamba. lam valicio. Lam valicio which is a great Italian restaurant in Echo Park um be- <laughs> Vala-Lisa. All right so their name comes from the names of their lead members uh who is Nangambenvisa and Kamba Valicio. Yep that's 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 just so great just to be like your baby's born you're holding it and you're like oh, uh, you gonna
1: look gonna... like a Kambalomalalisa M- 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 <laughs> That's exactly what I see So this was taken from their 1984
0: album, uh, La Duma. Uh, JT,
1: play a little bit.
0: Whatever you say, that part that <laughs> I I was driving and I actually got pulled over while I was listening to this because I wasn't paying attention because I was just dancing in my car <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, Maryland, vibing to this. This is what I'm talking about. A moment like that. That is why we do this podcast, because it's like I never would have listened to this. And now I am just. So in love with it, the more and more that we go. Thoughts on this song? How do you feel?
1: I lo- I mean, I love that. The, I love the uh, the bringing in like you know. It's almost like every couple songs they're bringing in a new different instrument. They bring in the fiddle halfway through. Uh, this one bringing in the I guess that's is that the accordion or is that like a harmonica? I think it's an I think it's an accordion. I think an accordion, which gives it a, a like. I can't. It's weird. It's like, you don't get that. I mean, I guess we had poke music in, you know, in America or, but that's really kind of originated, I think in, in Europe. And you think of like, um, like uh, a lot of that kind of Mexican brass music, which uses a lot of accordions. And it's like, what, you know, like so much of the rest of the world loves this instrument and it's kind of magical, you know, hearing it just gives it all that, all that more kind of worldly um, foreign feel, bringing in this fun accordion music, uh, again, kind of adding just another instrument they're throwing into the pot. For there, sure. Which I
0: think it's really cool. For sure. Uh, great song. All right. Uh, next one, track 10. Nigikabongay, N'gadkweda. N'gadkweda. And it stands for I Have Made Up My Mind by Mal Mal Nez Intombi Zomquashio, and the Makanga Tsali Band. This group name translates to Mahaltini and the girls or daughters of Maguashio, uh, which was the name adopted for the 1983 reformation of Mahaltini and the ha- and the Maltello Queens You know what's funny About me reading these John Is that you Is that when it comes To the English part Because I I fuck up The African names So bad When I'm reading The English I go I like speed through it I'm like Which was the name Adopted for the 1983 reformation Of the Mahalini.
1: Uh, it's your uh, way of telling everybody, like, check it out. I'm good at one language. At- I can nail one language. <laughs> uh, so, just in case you forgot, yeah, guys. I, I good at words.
0: I good at words. I got English on the lock. Uh, the song is a woman singing about her drunkard husband who treats her poorly and how she's going to discuss with her parents what to do about it. Then her parents tell her to let go because of his alcoholism. Uh, the best part is the ending. Peter, play it. Beautiful song. I love. I love that. There, like I said, it's like you know we don't even realize that we're hearing such a heavy subject matter being discussed, like alcoholism. Um, so, so your LDS faith, yes. from, from my understanding, has very strict rules about never consuming alcohol, tobacco, uh, tea, coffee, or drugs. Have you
1: ever been curious about any of them? Uh, you know, a little curious about. I've never been drunk, and I've, uh, I've, you know, been curious, but not, you know not enough to do anything about it because um, it's, you know, it's part of the, I, I've, you know, I'm proud. I've never um, imbibed that way. If that's even a word, I don't even know my, that English part. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, uh, um, I've had a few drinks accidentally Ooh. over the, over, uh, throughout my life. I can, I mean, you know, uh, I can, on one hand, I can name all the times I've, accidentally once when it was, I was told it was homemade root beer. My friend was tricking us. And so I took a little swig of homemade beer Uh, once on the set of blades of glory, actually uh, where I thought it was Will Ferrell's rap. Um, It was his last day. Yeah. And so they brought out some champagne, but they, uh, for some reason I thought it was sparkling cider (laughs) I can't remember at the time if they were like playing a joke or made me think, or I thought, cause he made some mention of it. So that was another accidental dream. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was all, it was always just, yeah, just like one or two other times where no, it was like one other time. It's just, it was just accidental. And it was like, Oh, okay.
0: Is there any, is there any, is there anything that you're like, if you could, is there anything that you were like, that would be one I might,
1: if I, if I,
0: if I was into that, or if I was going to like, like, I don't know if it's like LSD or or fentanyl, I doubt it's fentanyl, but is there anything that's ever just kind of intrigued
1: you? I suppose like, you know, having lived my life without any of that stuff, I'm like, okay, I've been pretty happy. I love having complete control of my faculties yeah. and, and my control. And, and so I don't really miss anything, but I've always, you know, when you hear about some kind of, LSD trip or you know whether it's a shroom or something that like makes you see things. I was like, "Uh, oh, that would be interesting. Like a like a roller coaster ride." Yeah. All right, I'd try, you know, like that'd be interesting to see kind of be weird to see like pigs fly, right? It's not, it's not,
0: it's all right. It's, it's, it's
1: kind of built up a little bit, but yeah. It's, okay. You know, okay. you're not, what are your shoes talking to you? Huh? Don't, My shoes? Do not your shoes have anything interesting to say?
0: Dude, you can find something that can get all of those things to happen. <laughs> um, But if you're at this point, there's no point to do it. No, <laughs> yeah. no lie. Seriously. It's like, once you get, once you get to a certain age, it's just like, You know, you missed it. It's fun. Like, that's why I think, like, for someone like me, it was like, I always say this to, you know, because I don't I don't do anything uh, really anymore. Like I smoke pot and I do take mushrooms only not to get high to like to open myself up spiritually and and more feel on a deeper level. Listen to music. Like I can feel music. I I took mushrooms and I listened to uh, the Beatles when we were prepping for an episode. And it felt it was just like, wow, it's like, oh, I get it even more now. I, I fell back in love with the band. But um, I think all that stuff's for when you're younger. And then as you get to a certain point, like I would never be like, dude, you know, what are you, 42 or something right now? Dude, 100 percent. Take some DMT. Like, there's no point.
1: <laughs> you're doing, you're doing great. Yeah. Don't no, worry. I, yeah, it's 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 mild curiosity, but not enough. Like, I I just never had interest. You know. Yeah, dude, you don't need it, dude. If if this this
0: music, you still vibe with this music sober. Yeah, yeah, Then, you, yeah, then you're good yeah. to go.
1: Music is my drug, dude.
0: And that's all you need, bro. Just give me a give me a hit of Led Zeppelin and a Crack Rock, of Rolling Stones. And a fentanyl patch of Guns and Roses. You know what I'm talking about. Or uh, do an eight ball of this track, Joyce Number no. Two by Johnson McCallali. Yeah. This song, it, to me, was like African Zydeco. Peter, play a little bit. This instrumental is by the accordion jive specialist and member of the Boyoyo Boys, love that name, who were also late 60s founders of Mumbang Kwanga. Dig it. I love this song because I love Zydeco music. Huge fan of New Orleans and that scene. Huh. I, that's something I had to look into a little bit I did, I do not really? know about
1: Zydeco music That was,
0: that was basically that. it That was basically it Well uh, you, Well, actually we we did uh, an episode with Harry Shearer From the Simpsons And he was like a, He's a big, 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 big uh, supporter of, of New Orleans and the music And the culture and everything He moved down there And so he sent us some tracks So uh, I'll pass them along to you because I don't even know if I could pick the best ones. So he picked the best ones from, for me. Uh, speaking of two, you do have a twin brother, Dan, right? Yes. So how did he handle your success? And did he ever have to deal with fans who thought he was you?
1: That's it. Uh, you know, he, I've always wondered, I think, you know, being a twin, you're always, sometimes there's the blessing and a curse. And you can see of like for us, it's interesting that we've been able to see maybe what our life would have been like if you had taken that path. Everybody has that question, but you can almost see it with us because not every twin is like that, but we were almost, I mean, we we're identical in so many ways. And, and what we, we were, we both had basically the same talents, same passions, same interests. Um, we were both studying animation and then kind of, you know, I branched off and started doing acting and got uh, into Napoleon, started going down that path and he continued on doing probably what i would have if, if i if napoleon if if the acting bug didn't catch on um and so i think sometimes he sees like yeah there's a lot of differences there we're both in we're both he's an animator who lives in la and you know he works for all the big movies all the marvel films and stuff doing animation um so we both work in the industry but I don't know if there's, I mean, he's handled it well enough. As far as I know, I mean, we have fun with it. When people around, sometimes they'll even go to him first. He definitely gets mistaken yeah. a lot, natural, understandably, because he looks like me, but he's also got like normally 20 pounds on me. So I'm like, come on people. like, <laughs> Why are you confusing him for me? Like, what does that say? Yeah, I'm dude. right here. I'm right here. <laughs> um. And he'll, he'll mess. I mean, he'll just kind of like, he'll be like, Hey, can we get your autograph? And he's, sure. And he'll just sign his name. And he's like, I mean, they asked for my I mean, autograph. Close enough. Right. Yeah. I mean, you guys, it's, like if they could, if they're going to complain, they need to do their research. I'm sorry. A
0: hundred percent. And it's
1: even more worse for me when they think I'm brushing, when fans think I'm brushing them off. Oh no, I'm, I'm actually, you know, his twin. And then, and I'll get the people who are like, oh, that's right. Yeah, he does have a twin. And then I feel guilty because I'm like, well, it's true. I do have a twin, but I was lying about which one I
0: am. <laughs> dig it. I love it. All right. Final track on the record, Nansani Imali. Here is the money by Ladysmith Black Mombazo. So this acapella vocal group popularized the type of South African call and response music known as Mbube. Ah, uh, Peter, play a little bit because this is a very powerful song.
1: Ah, la la. Sinetulele the
0: cova holly bunco, Timogunco, Bingosi. Agani shows in Ziswa. Umasit Petalisi. Obahani Hmm. Hala, la Timletas. Mogul figure, Bingosi. Halala la. Just, this is
1: a very very powerful song uh i love how rubbery the i don't know how else to describe the vocals how the um perfectly blended harmonies and how they just kind of like flow like but not like water like this just like they just take this form and they stretch a little bit but then they bounce right back into this like oh, there's, I don't know no, how-
0: they, I know exactly what you're saying cuz they're so connected and the stops could be sudden or they they you know they're holding the note so controlled this is the group that that from my understanding worked with Paul Simon Um, and you can see why, because it's, like I said, this might not be the most like danceable song on this record, but it's definitely, uh, I think one of the top three songs on the album. And I think it's a perfect way to close this record.
1: Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk and I'm the host of Lambgoat's Van Flip podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up and coming bands on the show as well. So, come check out Lambgoat's Van Flip podcast.
0: So, band member Joseph uh, Shabalala wrote this Mbubu. Wait, let me take that again. Wrote this M- Mbube praise song from the perspective of a township diamond miner. The translation of this is Here is the money dug by the men in the mines, where the faint hearted will not go. We congratulate our men for their bravery and for risking their lives. We salute you. And the South African diamond mine owners of the 1800s employed local workers who were treated terribly, including stripping them naked after work and checking them thoroughly for stolen diamonds and even making them sit in solitary confinement for a week, drinking diuretics in case they tried to swallow any. Um, yeah, I mean, it's ex- oh very heavy. I mean, if you've seen Blood Diamond or, or any documentary about uh, that area, uh, I mean, it's it's horrible what a lot of these workers had to go through, but unfortunately that was like the only work that they could get. Um, so I think, and then you hear a song like this and it just,
1: you know, it, it just adds so much more depth to it. So I, I love it. I th- and instead of being so, and again, it kind of goes to show like there is... I mean, all throughout the world, and I'm sure Africa has definitely had its fair share of these terrible, uh, tragic either events or mistreatings or just, you know, uh, elements of their culture that have, you know, been terrible for them. But their music is so happy. And so uh, instead of complaining, they're, you know, singing about like, we are congratulating, we give honor to these people who have done this and who've given their lives, like given their lives, they, they see it like almost as like they're, they're choosing to look at the positive part. Not that it was a good thing that happened, but instead of complaining and whining, it's more, we, uh, we salute those who have, you know, gone through these tragedies for us.
0: Yeah. But it's, But it's also, you ever, you ever noticed that like, you know, two of the funniest, you know, races of people are, are blacks and Jews because over the years there have been so many, you know, hardships that have happened to them that it's like, you almost have to find the humor. And, and the beauty in life, because yeah, dude, if you look at, if you read the paper every day, if you're on Fox news or CNN, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, horrible thing after horrible thing. And, and we, we have to like, if we, we want to sit in that, we can do that and we can be depressed all day. Or like you said, find the beauty in it, honor, you know, the people that have had to deal with it and try to live your life as best as you can now, not to downplay these diamond miners, um, but my question to you is what's the worst job you've ever had? It's such a weird, weird transition. today, were they to drink diuretics?
1: Anything where you had to drink a diuretic? Oh my gosh. That is like, uh, there's, n- there's nothing I ever would have tried to steal from one of these crappy <laughs> jobs. Um, I, um, if only there were some diamonds <laughs> in the rough and, uh, I had, I, the worst job I ever had was. I worked in an assembly line at a hot tub factory where they were building these hot tubs. And it was like uh, the fiberglass kind of coating where it was basically like a spray. We had to spray it on. And it was the mix of like, it was a temp job. Like, so I worked, I got that job through a temp agency. I was not on very long, but I just, I didn't know anybody. And it was at a time where, you know, I I truly despised country music. And this is in the 90s. So this is like the worst of like that you just... That don't impress me much. (laughs) Whatever it was, is just... and, And also like maybe some of it might have been good, but at the time when I was going through my hardcore classic rock phase, I just didn't want anything to do with like country. And they would just blast it on the stereos there while we're in line. So I was forced to listen. And again, you know, we talked about like, I loved my music whenever I worked, but I wasn't allowed to have headphones. So I was was forced to listen to this terrible music in an assembly line. There was no love. Nobody knew each other. You're just spraying this terrible and you get these fumes. And for a hot second, I got to use a nail gun, which I thought was cool. But then I came into into work late, like the next day, just a few minutes late. Uh, and we got fired and I was just like, that's fine. I didn't want anything. (laughs) Like the worst job ever. That's
0: the best feeling when you get fired from a job.
1: or let go, let go. Like we won't be asking for you back. That was a great thing about temp job. You're not really fired you just not asked to go back to that particular
0: job god i wish lady smith black Mombazo made a song about your experience just home fiberglass
1: lungs country music sucks country music sucks oh
0: clint black playing in the speakers terrible music all right that's yeah dude that's a shit job bro All right, you want to do uh, some facts and then we'll get you out of here? Uh, Let's do some facts. The word mbangwa, oh God, I'm saying it so wrong. The word bakwanga, thank you, means a common cornmeal porridge eaten in the rural areas of South Africa and was originally intended to be derogatory because it was adopted as the genre's name in the mid 60s. Um, who knew that the whole day that we've been going over this we were saying a derogatory term for cornmeal. I love
1: that you, you I love that you feel you <laughs> nailed bacanga and you're like yes finally and there's still someone out there no, going no dude, it's still I'm going to get so much shit for this episode. But all listen
0: listeners fleece army just know that I put love and into everything that we've done today. It's all love, no disrespect. This is a very it's hard this is very, very hard. Um, so speaking of
1: of reviews, what is the worst review you ever got? Oh, I'm sure like, you know, in the beginning, I never really read reviews. I, in the very beginning, when I say like beginning, like after Napoleon came out and I lived, st- lived down in L.A., I had those Google alerts where you can like put in your name and anything that came up about you. And that lasted all not very long because I was like, oh, this is like a bad idea. Like you shouldn't alert yourself. Like because you might start seeing, like, I don't even remember if it was, you know, oh, maybe bench warmers came out soon after and and you know, while wow, the movie, I love the movie. It's not the kind of movie that's gonna get good reviews. Um, but I don't the worst review might have been for um probably something uh, like bench warmers, where like, oh, just like, oh, he's this, uh, this movie's terrible. And, 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 you know, everybody's just doing a kind of like offensive version of what they're playing. John just kind of rehashing Napoleon Dynamite again and, and just, you know, going for the potty humor and just playing, you know, body jokes and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I'm sorry. It's not, not everything has to
0: be uh, to kill a mockingbird. Sometimes we can just have something just to enjoy. All right, let's, let's flip it on the opposite side. What's the best review you've ever gotten? Mm, um,
1: I think one of the, uh, I read this somewhere um, that uh, Jerry Seinfeld was asked, you know, what was, you know, being a comedian, what's some of the best stuff or funniest stuff you've seen? And he's like, in the past, and this is, he probably said this like, you know, a number of years ago, but he said like, in the past 15, 20 years, probably Napoleon Dynamite is the funniest movie I've seen. Oh, and that was, it. that was, that was a, I don't know if he was an official critic, but that was a great <laughs> review. I'll take it. Um, I don't know if you know it, he filled in for Siskel. I don't know, it was, it goes, it
0: goes Seinfeld and Ebert.
1: Yeah, anytime you get a, a like a compliment like that from someone you respect and admire, um, Jim Carrey once told me he's like, "Dude, you did it, you did it!" Like I and you, you sob like no one could do that, and I was like, "That was huge!" Oh my god, Huge yeah. like a review, and so yeah, yeah, that's that's dope, dude. That is so dope.
0: All right, so the popularity of this collection spawned three more volumes of the indestructible beat of Soweto records so speaking of popularity uh with napoleon dynamite being so huge everyone kind of expected there might be a sequel and then the original cast gets together for this primetime cartoon series so why didn't a sequel happen
1: i think uh just everybody kind of was off doing their own thing the director jared really for this kind of film jared hess who wrote and directed the film Uh, him and his wife wrote it and then he directed it. He, it really had to come from him. There's no way they would have, even Fox was smart enough. Like we can't do a sequel unless he's involved in all the cast. And I don't think any of the cast would have done a sequel if he wasn't involved. So it was kind of really up to him. And, and he just was like, I want to go do other things and make other movies and tell other stories that said, you know, we, and everybody, obviously it's like the number one question we've all been asked. And even, even now it's like, well, could you do it now? And, and there's different versions that we always play within our mind, but it's just kind of waiting to see if Jared ever decides to go back to it. And if he calls you're a hundred percent in, if he calls, I'm, I'm totally in because I know it's going to be something weird and interesting. And yeah. And you're going to be like, all right, uh, I'm getting
0: paid five times what I got paid in the original. And that's the
1: only way I'm doing it. No way, man. Uh, to make more of what I made from the original, I'm going to have to get paid like 200 <laughs> times more or at least. <laughs> yeah, dude. All right. All
0: right. Uh, Paul Simon was originally influenced by a bootleg cassette of the Mungbang
1: of. Oh, God. Magamba. No, I, I don't see it in front of me, so I can't. But see you got it. it. I, we're going to take your pronunciation artists
0: including some of these and then recorded part of graceland in johannesburg which brought its popularity to the mainstream i remember when graceland came out i remember my dad loved it um and a lot of the records i haven't listened to it in a long time it's it's you know you can hear uh so much of the influence of this record and then you hear you know a song like you could call me Al," which was like the big hit off of it and you're just like nope that's just really good pop song with a little bit of flair but how cool is that for him to hear this and be like no this is this is what i have to do i love that
1: yeah Um, i think and and again it was so influential and just it's it's easy to put that album because it was probably the most popular and really i mean really you took that music and made i mean you hear that it's like yeah that's what all this is but still hearing that same African influence in so much of the uh, music in the eighties and where everybody was kind of getting little bits and pieces. Like you said, David Byrne uh, definitely grabbing a lot of that and uh, Peter Gabriel um, really running with a lot of those sounds and beats.
0: Yeah. Um, So let's ask you uh, who was the first person to bring you into the mainstream
1: to bring me into the main, like, like uh, music or in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, it would be Jared. It would be Jared, yeah. Yeah, it would be Jared. Um, besides my parents bringing me into the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Jared, yeah, it was, but even then it's like, he wasn't even in Hollywood at the time. So he was more like, he brought ourselves just, you know, hitched this wagon and we all just drove in. Where did the character come from? Like, where did, like,
0: where did you go in, in, in your, cause you know, you created this character and I know it was there. Just like insane, like character details or, or breakdown, or did you just? Did you like know somebody earlier in your life to be like, yeah, it's. I could see it being a little bit of this guy, a little bit of this person that I met. Maybe the guy from the fiberglass, you know, place <laughs> that you worked. Like, like how did you come up
1: with such a? Because it's he's so defined, Napoleon. Well, I think that's what helped is when when Jared had the original short script that he showed me and I read it, we, and this rarely, rarely happens. I, I mean, I just speaking for my experience, but I think a lot of times when you have the director and the actor completely synchronized, hundred percent synchronized and understanding who that character is, because, you know, every writer and or director, but especially whoever's writing it is like bringing, pulling from their own experiences and writing from their world, their perspective of their world our perspectives just happened to match up almost like a hundred percent because we were both raised very similarly. We came from big families, lots of brothers and and younger brothers for that matter. And, and so when he wrote, showed me, he was just like, yeah, basically this guy is like my younger brothers and kind of myself. And I was like, yes, this was kind of my younger brothers. I have two younger brothers and they were always like, walk around acting like the world was taking a dump on them, like oh like this is this is so this is so retarded and like (laughs) just saying like whatever's coming like no finessing anything just crusty yeah And, uh, and so it was a little bit of myself in there but a lot of my younger brothers and little bits and pieces of kids I knew in high school and middle school who you know just kind of certain elements like certainly the way he talked, I got a lot from my younger brothers and from the way Jared kind of sought. And he would say kind of like just that, oh, oh, everything's like horrible and smells. Oh, what is it? You smell like a cat's butthole, you know, kind of like that attitude. But then, you know, you see the kid next door, next, sitting next to you in, in English class, you know, drawing some sweet drawings that he thinks are cool, but you're like, Oh, the pers- the proportions are a little bit off like that that dude's like a like you know, shoulders are coming out way too far but he's got like really in-depth shading so it's almost looks like it's supposed to be good but it's not quite and there's a lot of that kind of vibe and feel that i was like yes that's this kind of kid he thinks this kind of stuff is sweet he really takes stock in his own skills but he also is humble enough to realize he sucks at everything and yeah um yeah was there what, what was there when you finally
0: got in the costume was there one thing that just completely centered you was it the moon boots or the haircut
1: <laughs> When you put it on you were like oh yeah i think it was that, i think it was the perm the perm was really like i mean the boom moon boots helped but once you get that hair and like just the tight when we got the perm And we started picking it out and just looking all crusty. And I didn't wash it for like a week or like weeks. I think it was, it was just, oh, it looked the part. It was so perfect.
0: Do you still have the moon
1: boots? Uh, I think, I think I do actually. They they make their way around. Sometimes Jared will send it to me and send it because certain like, like uh, I think, you know, Sundance had a little bit of a museum or people want to like put it up and show it. So, but I think I have them, but they're nasty. They're like ripped. They, they're they shredded.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I love exactly. that. The mood boots are like the Stanley cup. Like everybody gets like a little time with it. That's dope. All right. Yeah. Last fact, uh, when traditional or neo-traditional African or Zulu vocals often sung by three or four women were added to Mambang it became Mabakwishio. I think I said that right. A very popular music style in the early 60s. The term Mabaquitio means to bounce, which describes the percolating rhythm of this music. In fact, that is the indestructible beat. So I wanted to ask you this uh, because you always seem to be in every interview, even today, uh, in such a jovial mood. How do you stay bouncy and indestructible?
1: Ooh, that's a good. that's a good, I mean, I, I ask myself that all the time. I'm like, I normally am like, even if, if, you know, life now, this year, all kinds of stuff. There's so many reasons to kind of get down in the dumps, but I think it's almost like just trained from a young age, trained by myself, trained by nobody in particular, just like life should be, I mean. I, I know a huge part is that I did have a really nice upbringing. I loved my childhood. Um, I was always happy. I had my twin brother. We were all, always had a playmate. And I think due to the fact that I was also very creative, um, it was a mix of having a playmate, always always being creative, being able to express myself. Um, but having... Um, yeah, and that in itself made me happy and made me realize that I have so many blessings. There's it's hard. I shouldn't complain about anything too much. And it's uh I'm alive and, and I listen to great music and and that's a you know, I, I think about that too, and not trying to bring it back to the idea that we are this is a music podcast, we're talking about music, but music is a part, and whether it's playing inside you, you know, on your own recorder or it's always playing outside. It's it's that attitude of, yeah, so much of the music I listen to is upbeat because that's just how I almost always feel. And I love dark stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, plenty in my library that goes down those dark paths. But almost even then when I'm listening to that music, it's like because it's taking me somewhere else. And I love traveling, whether it's physically or in my mind or musically going to another place and just exploring and getting different perspectives. It's really stepping out of sight of your own shoes and just taking a good perspective on all different walks of life.
0: A hundred percent. This like, what a perfect way to end it, because that's so true. Everything that you just said, it's like, yes, there's the world can, like we said, can be a difficult place, but there's so much beauty in it. And a record like this, it should be something that hopefully all the listeners got to hear and it takes them away from, you know, their quarantine or their problems, whatever it is that this album 100 percent did for me. And and be able to sit down and talk to you today, John, this was just phenomenal. Um, So
1: anything you want to promote? Go ahead. This is your time. Uh, let's see. Well, I mean, right now there's still... um. Uh, I, I'm in the newest Tremors film.
0: Yes. Yeah. We, uh,
1: we, we have that Tremors uh, Shrieker Island. Yes. Yes. That is the name of it. It's the seventh film in the series, but we don't need to know that. Just, it's just <laughs> Shrieker Island, right? Um, and we shot that last year in Thailand and it's still, I was thinking about it today. It was like one of the best experiences I ever had was shooting that movie in that country, in that place at that time, the music the uh, just the world and like and being able to shoot like an action film in the jungle um it, and I think you can see it in the film uh you can see some of that a lot of that joy and I just it was that was like me times 10 when I was on set i was just so happy because it was is so magical shooting that movie and so it's still i mean it will always be available itunes amazon to purchase and uh um and it's uh yeah it's out now and it's great
0: everybody go watch it this is it's it's this is where the tremors franchise finally hits its peak guys I love the Drummers franchise, dude. One of my favorite movies. Fred Ward, Kevin Bacon, the first one. Oh, my God. That's so cool, dude. Uh, thank you so much, John, for coming on today and being so thank great. Thank you for having me. me. This was great. I loved it. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only John Hader. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Hater John H-E-D-E-R-J-O-N. And make sure... You get into his new Tremors movie Honestly, watch everything that he's been in Because it's so dope Mama's Boys, Benchwarmers, Napoleon Dynamite Awesome dude Tweet at him, tell him you love him Because you couldn't have had a better guest for this Unless they were somebody off of the album Now, we just listened to a bunch of dudes from South Africa from 1985 Our new music pick this week is Moby Dixon And you are listening to his new song, Kamagu, off his fourth album, The Chapel. Moby Dixon is a producer and DJ from the Eastern Cape of South Africa. And his debut record, Tribal Soul, in 2015 made him one of the fastest growing artists in South Africa. He has been bringing attention to many textures and sounds of Soweto with his modern mix of soul and jazz and electronic you can find links to the music on our website The500podcast.com If you want your music featured on the 500 Because you were influenced by one of these albums or artists Send your song to 500 podcast at gmail.com Put the album and artist that influenced you In the subject line Next week Oh dude It's Wu-Tang Week yeah. Next week Wu-Tang Week As we go deep into 1993 Debut album Enter the wu Tang, 36 Chambers. Yo, yo, Method Man. Y'all got homework to do. Do it. Listen to the record. Stay fleecy. Doogle doogle. Doogle <laughs> doogle.
1: Kisses is a song kokhe lille fala I'm my kunna pelie opo suka kan Banga yazee, O bassinabana, O bassinangin canny. Lash, she believes we, Liamanda, little musty bandelli, Yeah.